Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. It is your co-host, Jessica. And as always, I am joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today, we're going to be talking about, we're talking about another cult. Yes. And cults are becoming a thing with us. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be talking about the very, very strange Heaven's Gate cult. Mm -hmm. And when we first started talking about this, I was like, Heaven's Gate? And then (laughs) I, as previously mentioned, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. So the first thing that popped into my head was Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, which is an evangelical like production where they go from church to church and put on a skit. So I got to tell Tara that I got to play drunk girl number three. <laughs> and I was the flirty, like, slutty friend Ooh. drinking in the back of a car and we raced a train. Oh, no. And I died and I went to hell. Aww. That was supposed to teach people not to drink and drive and not party as a teenager. Yeah. That just makes me think of that show that used to be on MTV, Awkward. They definitely did one of those. Mm. Forgot about that until like right this second. But yes, I liked that show. (laughs) And it was so awkward. My church did it for like three straight weeks or something like that. It was crazy. I definitely was the youngest person who played the like drunk teenagers. Everyone else was like over, I think I want to say over 18. And I was like 14. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And I had to be the slutty one who was like hitting on the guy that was like, way older than me it was awkward that's inappropriate (laughs) it was was really awkward anyway we're gonna move on from my childhood trauma (laughs) (laughs) like we said this week's episode is about heaven's gate and we're actually gonna do something a tiny bit different you know we do that occasionally do things a tiny bit different (laughs) yes so it's gonna be a two-parter and you're gonna get them all in one week so you're gonna get today's episode that you're listening to currently and then on thursday you're gonna get the other half so it's gonna be two parts yay one week yay one topic no waiting (laughs) (laughs) basically it's cult week on three spooked girls (laughs) yes (laughs) and if you are new to the show you can find us on all of the socials we are on all of them including the tiktok both tara and i have accounts and i have recently just started reposting because i took a 
slight hiatus. But we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at 3 Girls. If you want to hang out with us and over a thousand other spooksters, do so by joining our Facebook group. It is so much fun. We have a book club in there now, guys. We do. This is actually, since this is the 2nd of November, we've just begun our first book club book. It is The Shadows by Alex North, and I am excited to start reading it. In real time, this is before Halloween, and I'm getting ready to go on like a little trip with my husband to go hang out with our in-laws or my in-laws, his parents, and I'm going to bring it with me so I can read. Yeah. We have so many other fun things. And one of the things that we have going on right now that we're advertising in that group and pretty much everywhere is our Krampus Day celebration. We just wanted to have a fun hangout celebration with our listeners. And it is going to be a Zoom hangout type situation. And we're just going to have a good time. We're going to have some drinks, play some games, answer questions, probably (laughs) that kind of fun stuff. So if you want to participate in that, you can head to the link tree in the show notes. It's pretty much of our socials has it. Our website has a link to it. It is an Eventbrite. So you just have to like go through that to register. And it is a $5 admission and all proceeds are going to be donated to Toys for Tots. We just really wanted to do something that where you could give back. And this is a perfect way that we can hang out with you, our listeners, and be able to give it a good charity. Because this time of year, especially this year, I'm sure there's going to be some families that are struggling. And we just want to be able to bless someone out there because every kid deserves to have an amazing Christmas each year. 100%. If you want to help us with that, buy a ticket and come hang out with us. Yes. And we'll have a ugly Christmas sweater contest going on, too. And somebody will win a winter goodie basket box from us. Yeah. So we are looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to our Patreon. You can either go to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls or obviously there is a link in the link tree. For as little as a dollar a month, you get an extra bonus episode each month. On occasion, we do something fun like we did for Halloween, which is that all our tiers got a video, but our video content normally starts at $5 and up. Our $2 and up tier gets you access to slaughters, which means you get three extra episodes a month. So that's pretty great. Five and up get video content and specifically Tara's amazing Haunted Grounds, which is fantastic. So definitely check it out. There's some fun things and good times to be had with our patron group. Mm -hmm. And we do have a P.O. box in case you want to send us a holiday card this year. All that information is below. Yes. So with that, we're going to take a really quick promo break and we will be right back. And Tara's going to start telling us about Heaven's Gate. Hi there. I'm Megan. And I'm Danielle. And we are Crime and Roses. We are a true crime and Bachelor franchise recap podcast. Yeah, we're both. We are two Georgia attorneys watching and recapping all things Bachelor just for you. So we're talking Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Winter Games, Summer Games, all the games. Basically any show that ABC comes up with and forces us to watch. And then we'll release a true crime episode connected to what we've seen on the show that week. So if you don't like true crime, we have The Bachelor. And if you don't like The Bachelor, we have true crime. And if you don't like either, we're probably not the podcast for you. And that's okay. So if you're into one of those things, both of those things, come check us out as we combine our two favorite things into one-stop listening shop for you. So find us on your favorite podcatcher and on social media at Crime and Roses and email us at crimeandroses at gmail.com. Bye. Love you. Mean it. 
Welcome back from that promo break. We hope you enjoyed it. Before I hand it over to Tara, I'm going to tell you about the drink of the week. It is pineapple vodka lemonade. And here's why. They don't drink lemonade in this. It's not like Jonestown where they drink lemonade Mm -hmm. before their mass suicide. But they did drink vodka. So I was like, vodka cocktails. And then that popped up. And pineapple vodka lemonade, or I just call it Tito's and lemonade pineapple juice, is one of my favorite drinks. It's super refreshing. You just need some pineapple juice, some vodka, and lemonade. The recipe that I found online <laughs> is like, make it from the, like that country time. I just recommend buying lemonade, pre-made lemonade. That's faster. All liquid goes in faster. Just I do ice, vodka, lemonade, pineapple juice. Because if you pour the vodka in first, it self-stirs. Jessica Hack. There we go. Yes. Okay. Well, like we do with most cults, we like to dive into the background and history on not only the cult itself, but the leaders as well. And as far as Heaven Gates goes, they had two. So I'm going to talk about Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles before we get into the culty aspect. So Marshall was born on May 17th, 1931 in Spur, Texas. We're going to go way back here. That's crazy. That's actually almost 100 years. I just thought about that. Right? <laughs> That's insane. Because I still feel like 1990 was like last decade. And no, bitch, it's not. Oh, I saw a TikTok that was like, the way that kids think of the 90s is the way that 90s kids thought about the 60s. I said it to you. <laughs> that has shaken me to the core for a few days. And I'm like, I'm not mentally prepared for life right now. No, no, no. Uh, anyways, so yes. So in Spur, Texas, to Marshall Sr. and Louise Applewhite, he was one of three children in their family. And they grew up in a really religious household because Marshall Sr. was actually a Presbyterian minister. And he actually specialized in getting new churches up and running. So they would move to different towns in Texas every couple years to get those set up and then move on to the next. Marshall Jr., our cult leader, was known as the family comic, very loving, and a wonderful brother, according to his sister, Louise Wynette. And when he was younger, he actually did want to be a minister as well, just like his dad. He was also described as very good at public speaking slash performing and had a strong baritone voice with good diction because he also had an interest in music and theater as well. Marshall attended and graduated from Corpus Christi High School and Austin College with a bachelor's degree in 1952. After this, he enrolled at the Union Presbyterian Seminary to study theology, hoping to become a minister. So around the same time, the same year, he married Anne Pierce, and they had two children, Mark and Lane. And he attended the seminary for a bit, but then he decided it really wasn't his thing, so he left. And he wanted to do this so he could pursue a career in music. And he actually did become the director of the Presbyterian Church in North Carolina for a while. He had moved. His timeline on stuff is confusing. So if someone's like a know-all, be-all about this stuff, and this was later, sorry, but he bounced around a bit. In 1954, he was then drafted to the United States Army, and he served in Austria and also was stationed in New Mexico under the Army Signal Corps. And he was discharged two years later in 1956. And from here, he enrolled at the 
University of Colorado, where he earned a master's degree in music and Mm. focused on musical theater. After this, there was actually a short time he had moved to New York City to pursue acting during the early 60s, but he would end up having no luck with that. So he ended up leaving and he ended up at the University of Alabama as an assistant professor and choir master for a while. It's said that he was fired from this job due to pursuing a sexual relationship with a male student. He never spoke out on this necessarily, but it was said that he was conflicted with his sexual identity due to his religious beliefs. And I would also assume the time period would probably play a huge factor on that. Oh, a thousand percent. And there are rumors, it wasn't confirmed, of course, that this is what led to the separation from his wife in 1965 and then their divorce finalizing in 1968. And again, it was also noted, but can't confirm, that he was openly gay for a short amount of time and people also knew him as stylish and had just pretty much good things to say about him. Like, nobody really had anything bad to say about him at this point. He would end up having a relationship with one other woman, and they actually broke up because her family didn't like him. And then after losing that previous job at uh, University of Alabama, he ended up working at the University of St. Thomas in Houston to kind of head up the music department there since he like had all of this background and whatnot. And it was actually noted that he had quite a few starring roles in productions, including opera and stage musicals in Texas and also in Colorado. And he had 15 starring roles with the Houston Grand Opera. That's a lot. Yeah, not something you really see with cult leaders and stuff usually. So it was interesting. (laughs) No, you do not. That's like, yeah, for sure. I think of like Jim Jones and stuff. And I'm like, nope, none of those things. (laughs) I mean, they are very much performers. So. Oh, yeah. And very charismatic, obviously, or else they wouldn't have a following. Now, things would take a turn for Marshall. He would end up leaving his job in Houston in 1970 due to, quote, emotional problems or others had said, quote, a mental breakdown. There was also rumors that he left due to trying to pursue a relationship with another student. And very briefly, he had moved to New Mexico during 1971, but it was less than a year. It was the same year he actually came back to Texas. And around the time he moved back would be when his dad would pass away. This was said to have been a really tough time on him because they were really close. They had a good relationship and his mental health started to decline immensely, which is completely understandable. Along with that, he also suffered from severe depression. So his life kind of started falling apart. He became really drowned in debt. He didn't have much cash flow. He had to borrow money from friends to basically stay afloat at this point. And as far as other jobs go before he met Bonnie, it was noted that he was the choir director at the St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Houston. And there's also mention of him working with a theater, but we'll get into that in a minute. But now, before I continue on his story, I do want to shift to Bonnie for a minute because she's the other half and she kind of comes in in the timeline now. So Bonnie was born on August 29th of 1927 in Houston, Texas. She grew up in a religious household as well. Her family was Baptist. As she became an early adult, she began to kind of move away from religion a bit. And after high school, she became a registered nurse after graduating from the Herman Hospital of Professional Nursing. And the following year, in 1949, she would get married to businessman Joseph Nettles, and the two of them would have four children together. 
And things were good for a while, but kind of at a couple decades on, Bonnie began to explore interests she had in religion and other things that was not really familiar to her when she was growing up. Actually, in February of 1966, she would join the Houston Lodge of Theosophical Society in America and would remain a member until 1973 when her dues lapsed. And according to the society's website, they are, quote, an organization founded in New York City in 1875. Its purpose was to investigate the nature of the universe and humanity's place in it, to promote understanding of others' cultures and form a nucleus of universal brotherhood without distinctions among all human beings. The society is composed of students belonging to any and all religions or to none. Its members are united in their agreement with the society's three objects. Today, the society has branches in almost 70 countries with its international headquarters in India. And then the three basic ideas of this are, one, the fundamental unity of all existence, two, the regularity of universal law, and three, the progress of consciousness which develops through the cycles of life in an ever-increasing realization of unity, end quote. It's also noted that she began to become interested in exploring seances and that she believed she was having kind of like visions or conversations with a 19th century monk named Brother Francis. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing about this. Well, one of the, my favorite things about this. That's like one of them on the more normal side of this. Let's just be fucking real. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And with these conversations, she said that they spoke all the time and that he gave her instructions. That's nice. Yes, right? And with the seances, she said she would do these with mediums in order to contact other deceased spirits. And she actually hosted a circle group every Wednesday at her house. So some women have book club. She has seances, which, I mean, I ain't hating on that part, actually. It's very Morticia Adams of her. Right. Bonnie was also beginning to study astrology and the occult. And in 1972, this is when kind of like Bonnie started ramping things up and she would start seeing multiple, quote, fortune tellers and then also psychics. And then they would start talking to her saying she was going to meet a mysterious man who was tall with light hair and had a fair complexion, which this is pretty much Marshall. Let me just give you that spoiler. I mean, this can be a hundred million people, but he fit that. And once she began to be more involved in these things, it did start to put a strain on her marriage with Joseph. And this would actually be the reason they divorced in 1973. Basically, when she was like, I'm talking to this monk and da 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 da, he's like, uh, you crazy, bye, and left. Uh, <laughs> He was actually, in court, awarded custody of the children. Um, she did leave them with him anyways, which leads us to how Bonnie and Marshall met. Now, you get a lot of stories on exactly what happened, but I'm going to tell y'all pretty much the most popular ones. And spoiler, pretty much the main theme is that they met at a hospital. So please keep that in mind. <laughs> and I'm going to do the very short version for most of these because they're all really similar. It's just like teeny details are switched out. So one is they met while Marshall was actually staying and being treated in a psychiatric hospital that Bonnie may or may not have worked at. So there's that one, which he denied. And another is that Marshall had a near-death experience due to 
some heart problems or something that happened with his heart, and it landed him in the hospital, and then that's how they met. And that one actually comes from his sister. And then the next one kind of ties into the last one, is that he was checking on a friend in the hospital, and that's basically the story he gives, that he went to visit somebody, he came across her, the rest is history. But according to Bonnie's kids, they said that the two ended up meeting because somebody at the theater got hurt and he took them to the hospital. And I said he was working at that theater after all of the other jobs at the universities. So her daughter was named Terry, and she worked at the theater on like evening shows, concerts and other events, which actually also included a drama school. And she said like she knew who he was and worked with him on one of the children's shows at the theater was on Saturday. And she also had done an interview and said, quote, someone got hurt at the drama school in the theater that Herf, which is Marshall, that's his middle name, worked at. Herf accompanied the injured person to the hospital where he met Bonnie, and that's how they met, end quote. And apparently Marshall had been, you know, like teaching there and one of her sons was actually there. So like two of her kids were familiar with who he was type of thing. But when they talked to him about it and his name was Joe, he was like, I don't know. I don't know how they met. Whatever. He's like, I think maybe at the theater, but I'm assuming he was probably pretty young. So, you know, kids don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. Also, I think like you have to look back in the fact that like at this point in time, they're interviewing him because his mother was a cult leader and associated with another cult leader. Right. So I even if I knew, I'd be like, I don't fucking know. Because, I mean, it had to be hard. Oh, yeah. So basically, you know, they meet at the hospital. They come across each other, what have you. And Marshall said that when he looked into her eyes, he had a feeling like he already knew her and they had a spiritual connection. And he would go on to say that they must have met in a previous life. So by that time, once they're, you know, becoming friends and whatnot, he... This is all convenient. He had dove into alternatives to the Christian religion himself, including astrology. And she actually ended up doing like a reading for him early on and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he also had said he had several visions, including one in which he was told that he was chosen for a role like that of Jesus. Well, I mean, how much more humble could you be? (laughs) Right, fuck. So, Bonnie and Marshall, they bonded over that, and then they would talk about other biblical, quote, prophecies. And this is when the two, they would get to talking, and they would be convinced that they were the two end-time witnesses mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 11. And for those that aren't religious like me and need a little bit of a breakdown on what that means, it is the two witnesses that are two of God's prophets who are seen in a vision by John of Patmos, who appear during the second woe recorded in Revelations 11, 1 through 14. And when looked at this by theologians, they have talked about these as being two individuals, maybe two groups of people, or as two concepts. So it's a little unclear. It's kind of like up for interpretation from these people. And the two witnesses are also said to spread a message of judgment, are martyred, and then are resurrected and taken to heaven in a cloud. And Marshall and Bonnie decided the cloud was a flying saucer. I mean, if we're going to make it something, (laughs) why not a flying saucer? It has to be a UFO, come on. (laughs) And they interpreted multiple biblical passages in the light of this, quote, contemporary thought about alien contact. Yes, aliens, huge part of this, if you are not familiar with this cult. 
buckle in for that in a little bit. So they also believed that they had been given higher level minds than other people. So they believed that Jesus had ascended to heaven, which they call the level above human or T-E-L-A-H. That's longer than saying level of human, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I just thought it funny. Like the acronym's longer than saying the words. <laughs> right. Like it it takes us longer to enunciate the acronym than it does for us to say your words. Literally. And you're going to go to the level above the human in the spacecraft. And Marshall arrived on Earth from the level above human realm and brought with him the Heavenly Father, who is Bonnie. Yes, they're saying Bonnie is God and he is Jesus. How did we not know? Like... How did we not know? <laughs> the two remaining Heaven's Gate people are just going to be like, fuck these bitches. I can't. Because <laughs> the, the amount of like shade I'm going to sarcastically throw. Oh my God, I know. Bonnie would be described as the mystic and the diviner, and Marshall would be the, quote, charismatic speaker. So, you know, fits for what they're putting themselves into. And pamphlet. They wrote one that describes Jesus's reincarnation as a Texan, which, of course, we know who they're trying to say that is. And they occasionally visited churches and other spiritual groups to speak of their identities and often referred to themselves as the two or the UFO two. And they believed that they would be killed and then restored to life. Do you think that like as a whole, Texas heard that first part, which is that God was coming back as or Jesus was coming back as a Texan and like part of them was like, yes. Jesus is coming back as a Texan because they're very proud of themselves as Texans. But then they heard the other half and then went, oh, no, no. (laughs) Yes. Let me tell you the other half of this sentence (laughs) because they would be killed and restored to life and in front of other people watching would be transported into a spaceship. And this event they called the demonstration. This is when everybody in Texas was like, fuck to the no, because it said it was, quote, poorly received (laughs) to the religious community. I wonder fucking why. (laughs) I'm sure at the first part, they were like, Jesus is a Texan. Yes. And then the the second half, they were like, get fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It was like, literally like same breath. Jesus is going to come back as another human to be Texan. Yes, I agree. And then they'd be like, no, not, no, not the way you're doing it. Right. They're like, "Mm -mm, try again. (laughs) (laughs) But we are going to take a quick break to hear a message from today's sponsor, Manscaped. We'll be right back. Support for Three Spook Girls comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your man's family jewels. We're now in November, which means it's holiday season, so it's time to buy gifts for you and your man. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Treat your man or woman, and it'll turn out into treating yourself. Because, you know, who doesn't like a well-managed area? That's why this revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer reduces cuts on your man's nuts. It's also waterproof, which prevents a mess on the bathroom floor and in the sink, which I hate. Yes. Ladies, this is the perfect gift for you and your man. And trust me, he will thank you. And men, your balls will thank you. 
Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SPOOKEDGIRLS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SPOOKEDGIRLS. Naughty or nice, this is the number one gift on Santa's list. Hop on this trending sled today. Also around this time, the pair would actually partake in a couple business ventures together. They would open a bookstore called Christian Art Center, and then they had another business called as the No Place, like I Know Something. And this was used to teach mysticism and theosophy. But both of these failed really quickly. Well, I mean, it's a very small market. Yeah. I also think it's important to note, as far as Bonnie and Marshall go, some people go under the assumption they eventually got married, but they didn't. They were partners and they had a, quote, relationship. But this relationship was described as a, quote, platonic sexless partnership. And we'll get into that in a little bit later. But after the failed businesses and probably everyone in Texas telling them you're fucking nuts, get the fuck out. They decided to hit the road and try to spread their message. And it wasn't luxurious by any means. Honestly, I am not sure how much planning really went into this. They were set to work odd jobs and donate blood, probably plasma, for the money. And even with that, they would skip out all the time on paying like their hotel or motel bills, which eventually got them into a bit of trouble because they were looking at charges for credit card fraud. But those would actually get dropped. So I don't know if they had stolen a credit card or what exactly happened, but nothing really came of that. Hmm. But then trouble would come around again when Marshall hadn't returned a rental car that he had picked up in St. Louis. And he had said that he was, quote, divinely authorized to keep it. No, it's not how that works. No. Well, the police didn't think so either. He ended up in jail for six months. And while he was in jail, it's noted that Bonnie visited him several times. They actually took this time and made, quote, good use in their eyes of it to hammer out all the details of their religion or what have you because they had plans when he got out. And I also laughed because when I was reading articles on this about the stuff I told you earlier, they were also like, it was very much inspired by Star Trek and other science fiction because he was like super into it, you know. So I was like, oh, God, my mother-in-law watched Star Trek. She likes Star Trek. I'm going to tell her it's cult-related. (laughs) This whole, like, this whole cult just reminds me of the stick song, Come Sail Away. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) If this cult was going to have a theme song. Mm Mm-hmm. So when he got out and all of that, they decided to go by new names. And they were Bo and Peep. Marshall was Bo. Bonnie was Peep. And uh, I'll just tell you, they had quite a few names throughout the times. Other names they used were Winnie and Pooh, Tiddly and Wink. And the ones they used the most, besides Bo and Peep, was Doe and T. Marshall was Doe. And obviously, if you know musical stuff, it's like that. Or if you don't, just think Sound of Music and you'll you'll get what I'm saying. And now I got that stuck in your head. You're welcome. So, Bo and Peep, they went to California and they, you know, did some events and stuff. But more importantly, they went to Oregon in 1975. And this is really when it caught people's attention. This event alone had 200 attendees. And I was reading an interview or watching an interview, I can't remember which it was at this point, from a local, and he was like, most of us thought they were fucking crazy. But then when, like, a good chunk of people, like 30-plus, packed up and fucking left... We were all like, what the actual fuck? This group of people just like disappeared from our town. That's that's my favorite thing. Because I'm going to say, I watched an interview later on with like some of the people that were in it. And it was like two, they were interviewing two women who left during that time. And they're like, we met them in Oregon and they thought we disappeared, but we're still here. And I'm like, "Um, the point was, is that you were suddenly in your hometown and then you just poof, 
That's so scary. No call. No, where are you? Just gone. People are like, uh, 30 people disappeared from our hometown. Should we be concerned? Yes. Yes, we should be concerned. Right? So basically, in case you're curious, this is how things went down with the whole events things they did. So they had a flyer, of course, and it was said to be a mix of, quote, conspiracy theory, science fiction, and a word I'm going to butcher, prosilithization, something like that, which is basically just a fancy word for a religion conversion. So makes sense because obviously they were doing these to build their following or uh, as they call a flock, which I'm like, ugh, gross. Bo and peep and flock. (laughs) On it also, they had UFO in these big ass letters at the top with the disclaimer that said, quote, not a discussion of UFO sightings or phenomena, but it kind of is because you're talking about getting taken away in a spaceship. But okay, okay, okay. And then inside, it had a passage saying, quote, two individuals say they were sent from the level above human and will return to that level in a spaceship, parentheses UFO, within the next few months, end quote. So obviously they were, uh, you know, promoting Heaven's Gate, which wasn't Heaven's Gate at this point. They had actually called it Human Individual Metamorphosis, or HIM, and or Total Overcomers Anonymous. This particular cult isn't like the cults that we've talked about before where they have like a very distinct plan and they're going to follow it. No. It's more of like, what did we think of today? Okay, that's the new cult. (laughs) So their names changed frequently. So if like you were in the cult and then left the cult, but then were looking for the cult later down the line, you would probably not find it. Right. And, and, and their theme was... That a UFO would come and take the members away, elevating them to a new world and a better life of T-E-L-A-H, the evolutionary level above human. And the group really, really grew for a while, which I'm just like, what the fuck? But I mean, 60s, 70s. okay. Now, they were talking to somebody who was like an early, early member who eventually left because obviously they interviewed him. He's alive. He was like, they were so successful because for himself, he was like, they were talking to my Christian heritage, but in a modern, updated way because they were targeting people, not people who are going to be like hardcore Baptist churchgoers or anything. They were looking for people who were like Bonnie, who were wanting to explore other avenues of religion and that kind of thing. So like this, quote, new age thinking. So this is why this worked, because the big example was, you know, Mary, the one who had Jesus, all that. So their explanation was it was an immaculate conception. It was she went to a spacecraft and got pregnant. But there were people who were like, oh, this makes so much more sense than the original thing. And I'm like, is it? Does it though? My reaction, I was like, really? <laughs> when I heard that, I tried to rationalize it. You know I can pretty much rationalize anything because I like to play devil's advocate. And I thought, well, maybe they're trying to say that like Mary wouldn't have a way to explain a metal flying or like some sort of flying ship in the sky when their ships were made out of wood and barely floated. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then it'd be like... Uh, God got me pregnant. But the way that they're looking at it is God is in the spaceship. So technically, like, they're not saying that she went up there and, like, had sex. They're saying that she went into the spaceship and got pregnant. Right, right. I can see where people would be like, okay. Yeah, but it worked because they had this essential, like, formula that they were talking about this in their minds, talking about New Age thinking, but they were also presenting it with familiar Christian or religious 
language and stuff like that. So it was like, you know, the whole thing with Mary, it's like, oh, this is a familiar story, but let me put this weird twist on it. So it's like, okay, it's not just like, I'm an alien and these aliens are going to come get me and I'm Jesus. So, you know, I mean, he did do that too. And we saw how that worked. (laughs) (laughs) I I like how you said it. I'm an alien, but I'm also Jesus. (laughs) Oh, so some more fun facts or maybe not so fun facts uh, with Heaven's Gate. And OK, if you're new, anytime I say fun fact, it's not going to follow with a fun fact. It's going to follow with something horrific or something shitty. So <laughs> somebody added me about it on TikTok. And I was like, that's literally what I said. I was like, OK, take the fun part for a grain of salt because it's not going to be a fun fact. Sorry. It's like <laughs> ironic fun fact. It's like fun fact. Exactly. Everyone dies. Pretty much, yes. That's the essence. So, fun fact. Members were instructed to renounce friends, family, media, drugs, alcohol, jewelry, facial hair, and sexuality as a whole. Not surprised because a lot of cults cut you off from everything outside of that community. And something to keep in your pockets for later, they also, in the early days, in the early days, they saw suicide as wrong. But we know that changes. And then other classic cult things, pretty much for the most part. Along with this, they were also required to adopt biblical names. So, you know, strip them of their identity. And they were, (laughs) I'm laughing because me and Jessica talked about this earlier. They were asked to cleanse their bodies of impure influences, such as things as fast food and sexual thoughts. And they were given a literal cleanse, which um, may sound familiar to you in a minute. (laughs) It was a mix of lemonade, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup. There was rumors and allegations that these people had to drink this for three fucking months. Like, seriously, (laughs) I've had so many friends who are like, I'm going on a cleanse. And I'm like, what are you drinking? They're like, lemonade, syrup, and cayenne pepper. And I'm like, that is not a cleanse. I mean, it's a cleanse because you're going to poop a lot. (laughs) Yeah. The cult cleanse. TM. So from now on, anytime (laughs) someone's like, I'm on this cleanse, I'm going to be like, get your cult ass away from me. (laughs) Be gone, devil. Oh, my God. (laughs) And along with this cleanse, members all wore baggy clothing and had short hair, essentially to, quote, mask gender and sexuality. Basically, again, stripping that self-identity. And also, horrifically enough, some members, including Marshall, would eventually get surgically castrated. She said it. Mm-hmm. Surgically. She did not say chemically. Because at first I heard that and I was like, oh, they got castrated. And I'm thinking they just took like the medication like on Family Guy when Chris gets chemically castrated. And then I was like, nope, she said surgically, which means... Means exactly what it means. Whoopee! And they were also taught that if they stayed on Earth long enough, they would face, quote, recycling, which is the destruction of the Earth as the planet was wiped clean. But do not fret, little cult members. Bonnie and Marshall were very convinced it would not come to that. The spaceship run by T-E-L-A-H beings would arrive and pick them up well before the apocalypse happens. And by this time, we have reached the mid-70s, and Marshall, or Bo, or Doe, whichever, they actually stopped using the word religion for their group because he thought it was too inferior of a word, and they were just above that. Oh, how dare the world have such a word. (laughs) I really loved this. Like, I'm sorry. They're so just full of themselves. Mm -hmm. So after the Oregon thing, because I told you guys this was like a big deal. There was big turnout. So it obviously caught attention and more attention was coming to them as they were growing. There was actually a book written about them back during this time. And Marshall and Bonnie were like, "Mm -mm, don't like that. 
So they wanted to start laying low, which brings us to April of 1975. This would be the last time they had any like public teachings or these outreach type of things. And from here, they would actually start sending out their followers to go recruit throughout the U.S. But eventually that kind of also got cut off because it was said Marshall believed in quality over quantity of members. This is true. This is true. So by this point, they actually had a following of about 200 or so, and they started cutting down. They were trying to get their cream of the crop for the members. Also, fun fact, this I don't know if this one might be kind of a fun fact. There was a member who had gotten this like monetary inheritance in 1977. And this is actually a game changer because prior to this, they had just been staying at like campsites and whatever was cheap because they didn't have much money type of thing. But once they got this, they were able to go move into houses, which some of these houses look like mansions. And about this point, they were cut down to under 100. So they had about three or four houses that the different members stayed at and everything. It was said that Bonnie and Marshall, they had their own house, like the leaders had their own house type of thing, separate, which, you know, not surprised. And that it was also said to be ran like a boot camp with every minute planned of the day. And they would also, when they were in these houses, cover all the windows because they wanted privacy. And then they would also move every few months to avoid getting any attachment to the places they were at. But with that, and even the boot camp description that a lot of things said, it was actually said that Marshall never came off to anybody like as a dictator or anything like that, that he kept that trust and likability with his followers versus scaring them. Because we've definitely seen that. David Koresh went crazy. Uh, He was crazy, but he went crazy-er. So he was described by members as fatherly and laid back that he gave this illusion of choice with them, with things. They were very much so encouraged to go talk to him when they were trying to make decisions or needed advice and things like that. And he would say things like, well, if it were me, I would do this, aka do this thing. Right, because he was super an emotional manipulator. Mm -hmm. He didn't need to be like an authoritarian or a dictator because people craved his approval. So all he'd have to be is like, I would do this. And they were like, that's exactly what I have to do. Mm -hmm. But he'd be also be like, you know, oh, you can make your own choices. And it's like that theme of, oh, but you can leave the cult anytime you want to. (laughs) It's kind of like when your parents say like, do what you want, but this is what I want you to do. And you know it's a trick. Exactly. Or, you know, if you go and do the thing, they're going to punish you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the way he punished was just like, you're not ready to ascend. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because like, basically, that's how he also helped getting stuff like more cut down and, you know, tight knit and stuff was because like, basically, if they broke a rule or whatever, they would either <laughs> one of two things, they would either be punished or excommunicated from the community, which I was like, wow, for a cult, that's interesting to read about. So, you know, like I said, they were told they, of course, could leave if they wanted to, that kind of thing. And there were people who would be like, "Okay, I'm out. Bye. And they would leave. And it was even said with some of those people, they actually like gave them money when they left. So they had some help. So I was like, "Okay, all right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. And then now we're going to jump to the 80s. So followers, they did have jobs. Typically, most of them were either people who worked with computers and then a lot of them were also mechanics or worked in garages type of thing, which it's like on both sides of it, totally useful trades. So I don't know if he pushed them into those jobs or if that's like what they did prior. I would assume probably push it because like no one's that lucky to be like, oh, all of my people do these mainly these two things. Uh, nah, it doesn't typically it could, but it doesn't typically work that way, especially 
especially in the 80s. Unless that was part of like the weeding down process. That's true. Was that like he was keeping strategic. I know like some doomsday groups have like people who are like going to come together in case doomsday happens. They do it by like what you can bring to the group. Oh, yeah. I think for some reason, Marshall and Bonnie were like, computers are going to be a big thing. I mean, they weren't wrong if that's what they thought. (laughs) (laughs) Right. As like, I have a MacBook, an iPad, and a phone, like, all right here. (laughs) Computers are not the future. (laughs) Right. I know. (laughs) Something else interesting to note is that this is also kind of like another random thing, because I didn't really know where to stick it, so it's here. (laughs) There was an instance when they lived in Texas, and they had told their followers they needed to go outside and stand there all night because the spaceship was coming. And everyone stood out there all night and nothing. So Marshall was like, oh. This was a test. This isn't the real ascend. Da 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 da. And I also, I believe I read or heard in something that this was not a one time thing. This happened multiple times. Well, I mean, think about it. Like a lot of this is in cults is that you have to test your loyalty to people and their message. And Mm -hmm. if you're willing to stand out all night, like if they're right, the payoff is fantastic for you because you get to ascend. Right. If they're wrong or if they're just testing your loyalty, it's it's also a payoff because then they know because this is part of their weeding down process. If you went out there and you were there for a couple hours and you're like, nothing's going to fucking happen and you went inside, they could be like, I don't really think that you're as committed to this as you think you are. Maybe you should leave. For sure. But like I said, we're in the 80s now and we're going to start to have a shift. So a couple, I don't know if it's interesting or whatever, but it was just like, I was like, oh, okay, things that happen, but also make sense in a fucked up way. There was one instance in 1982 where the followers were actually allowed to call their families and check in with them. Keep in mind, like before this, no, not a fucking thing. You just up and disappeared. Like we said, those people in that town. So there was that. And then the following year on Mother's Day, they were actually allowed to go visit physically meet their families in person. And the reason behind this, you know, obviously was a front to show like, look, we're happy and doing what we want to and everything's fine, even though, you know, Mm -hmm. some of these people may not have talked to their family for like almost a decade at this point. Right? Oh, my God. It's crazy. But when they went, they were instructed to say that they were studying computers at a monastery. And that was the reason for the lack of communication. But they, you know, had this opportunity to come visit. So they wanted to, but they were so happy and life was good and they were doing well. And they really wanted to be there. You know, they could leave if they wanted to, like reassurance, reassurance. So nobody got too curious. Right. Now the shift. So things took a bad turn for Bonnie. She actually ended up having an eye removed due to cancer in 1983, which in my brain, I automatically was like, okay, this is kind of like the same time as the family trips and stuff. I wonder if they did that to be like a distraction because they're not supposed to die. Nothing's supposed to happen to them. Right. No, a thousand percent. I think that they were, it was very like magic. Like, don't look at me, sleight of hand, remove my eyeball. Exactly. And when she had this procedure done and everything, the doctor was telling her, you know, the cancer was spreading throughout her body and that she she really needed to take this seriously because things were not looking good for her. And Bonnie rejected that any of this was true and that the doctor was a, quote, idiot. And she believed that she couldn't die due to the fact she was meant to ascend with Marshall, which is really mind blowing how powerful brainwashing can be. Because remember, when I talked about her earlier, she was a fucking RN for a good chunk of time. Right. 
And the thing is, they're the ones brainwashing people. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was partially denial, too. Well, I think if you're sitting there telling everyone that your body is a vehicle and that it's just a vessel, it's empty, like it's the soul in it that matters. And then suddenly you're deteriorating and you've already told everyone that you're not going to die. You're going to ascend. And suddenly you have cancer and you're dying. A logical person would be like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. Right. With that, Bonnie would end up dying on June 18th, June 19th of 1985 at Parkland Memorial Hospital, where she had been there under the pseudonym Shelley West. And this is a huge turning point for this cult. And this is actually where we're going to end part one, because like Jessica said in the beginning, she is going to be handling part two, and we're going to get that on Thursday. Yes. So thank you for joining us today. And like we said at the beginning, you can find us in all the socials and we will then see you back here on thursday for part two of this clusterfuck that is heaven's gate (laughs) bye guys (laughs) bye guys